0: Thank <laughs> you. Hello and welcome to Open Mind UFO Radio. My name is Alejandro Rojas. I am your host for today. And I am here with Martin Ruski-Willis.
1: That's right, yo. Coming at you live from Russia. <laughs> yo. Again. Yeah, yes. you're back in Russia. Uh, well, for about a month this time. Wow. Wow. So-
0: Back so. in the U.S., back in the USSR. USSR. But I'll, it's you don't not the USSR much. anymore. That's, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's the cool. The
1: tore down those that wall.
0: The mother country, but it's not your mother country, right? It is not. What is no, your mother I'm... country? Do you have one? Uh,
1: England. Well, in, uh, Wales. Wales. Where that's there's... interesting. Where there's no UFO sightings because it's foggy all the time—not foggy, but overcast. That's where Catherine
0: Zeta Jones
1: is from. I know where um, I used to see her all the time. Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> the coffee shops. Well, that's yes, delightful. you know she's a very lovely. everything lovely. I say. Yes.
0: Well, that's fun. So, is there any particular reason
1: you went out there? Um. Yes, it's actually uh, medical reasons for my girlfriend's, uh, oh. you know, a mother. Uh-huh. And, I mean father I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Um but you know uh everything will be fine and Good. that's why I'm here for a prolonged time. It's actually you know just a couple of surgeries that need to be done and you know. Uh-huh. And that's it. We'll be here for a while. And uh you know I got to say I'm not a fan of the food. Uh-huh. And I'm really glad that they can't understand my English because they're in the next room. <laughs> oh yeah. But, you know this Oh, many, oh, so just so many ways you can cook borscht. I mean, that's just What's it. borscht? It's like a bunch of vegetables with uh, some type of, I don't, I don't even know uh, what type of broth it is. Wow. And then sometimes there's meats in it, you know, this has been vegetable borscht, and it's, well, you know. And that's all they make, huh? Some people love it. Uh, okay. uh, I've had it um, for every meal I've been here, except for breakfast, which wow. is uh, well, uh, other very strange things. Yeah, what do they do for breakfast? Well, it's an oatmeal that's like a powder, so it's like a liquid, and it's just—I mean, it's—it tastes as bad as it sounds, oh if you my ask gosh. me. And then these weird egg things on top of bread, almost like a thick layer of French toast that you do nothing with, and. Um, <laughs> You know it's good because you know I can take off a few pounds. I'm getting a lot of exercise, and on the Black Sea, it's pretty.
0: Yeah, that'll good. be helpful. I mean, I guess losing weight.
1: Do they have like smoothies? Can you eat smoothies? They have nothing here. No wow. restaurants. No. Really? Food. Yeah, I mean, there's a oh. couple of them somewhere in the town. There's only 250,000 people in this town. Holy
0: cow! <laughs> Are you having any problems with old ladies this time?
1: Um. Uh, well, I one spotted one of them threatened her. to murder you. Yes, Last I did time. spot that same exact woman oh, out of wow. two hundred fifty thousand people oh down in the backseat with her little dog again, uh-huh. and I just steered clear. Yeah, and good I hope idea. she doesn't recognize me. Yeah. Wow, harrowing. Very adventurous, huh? It is going to Sochi tomorrow for a um, number of days, so that'll oh, be cool. uh, that'll be exciting. Going to be staying in a big place there, and it's really a beautiful. Uh, town right on the black sea as well cool. it's a full day drive away and but uh you know you go up into the mountains that's where the winter olympics were but this is mm-hmm. right on the black sea itself nice and toasty warm 75 degrees or wow so great down here so, is it yeah. pretty out there oh the black sea is absolutely beautiful you wow. know i mean it's it's um you know it's big i mean it's huge yeah. but it's the water sort of turquoise so it's kind of nice
0: Wow, that is so cool. I'd love to see it, but I'll, I'll pack my own lunch, I guess, huh? Yeah, I would.
1: What? Bring your own borscht. Yeah. Cool. Well,
0: yeah. that sounds like fun. So we'll be talking to you and checking up on your Russian adventures uh, over the next few weeks, huh?
1: Yeah, for a little while.
0: And the Internet I've... sounds great. I mean, you sound better than, than some of my guests here in the States.
1: <laughs> I know. It's amazing. It I've been talking incredible. to people on my phone all day and it's like mm-hmm. the phone works perfect too
0: you know we may be making fun of Russia right now and we're gonna make fun of Russia a, a little bit more in a little bit here I know We're oh, related okay. to some UFO stories but um, from what I understand I mean really the us surprisingly has terrible internet compared to many other countries
1: you yeah, know I've heard like the worst is Australia but I'm not sure hmm. I mean that's you know well, I, I guess. They, yeah, they're pretty I guess what happened is since we were first
0: to the game, we rolled out these cables all over the place. But uh since others kind of came in later, they were able to 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 roll out the fiber all over the place. So, so right. that's why they it's have the
1: fiber it. optics. Yeah. That's the magic, yeah. Pretty cool. Absolutely.
0: Well awesome. Enjoy yourself out there, buddy. Thanks. Who Before, do you have coming on today for your guest? That's that that's that's a funny you should say. I was just about to mention um, my guest is Richard Hoffman. He is a state director for MUFON out in uh, Alabama and, I think, uh, Mississippi. Yeah, nearby two places. And, you know, he'll tell us in the interview because my memory, for some reason, is failing me. Just a super busy morning Mondays, of course. And um, he's also got another title. He manages, a, a I think, Strategy or something like that for MUFON. He's got a couple titles there, so he does a lot of stuff. But he's been in this forever, which we'll talk about. Some amazing stuff he did as a child uh, in relation to UFOs. And uh, so just a really impressive, cool guy. He's also part of uh, the SDU team. So do you remember that? They were the guys who researched that Homeland Security video. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So he's a part of that team, and and he'll be talking about uh, that case as well.
1: Oh, that's good. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I still want to follow that case because I don't think it's over yet. Right, it's not so far. So we'll talk about updates. Um,
0: another interesting fact is he's a bow tie wearer. Oh, that's a rare breed. Yeah, which I find I I have a, a even more appreciation for recently. Due to Doctor Who, I'm a Doctor Who fan, and if you know the Matt Smith character used to always wear bow ties and say bow ties are cool. That was kind of his little catchphrase. Bow ties. Well are I gotta cool. tell you,
1: I don't know if you have ever tried to tie one of those suckers, but it is not an easy task. Really? Oh, it took me hours to try to figure it out. It's wow. it's really tough. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not the
0: most coordinated person in the first place, so yeah. Don't
1: try. I don't yeah.
0: think I will. I kind of like the the long tie, or I like the, you know, no tie, personally, because uh, <laughs> yeah. that's a cool look, and it's, it's kind of acceptable yeah. these days. Right, yep. So right on, uh, let's go ahead and get into some UFO news. Have you been able to see any UFO news out there in Russia?
1: Yeah, um, well, I want to talk about, this is about an Army Chief of Staff And he warns of, you know, his wording, i got to say it was all in his wording, Mm -hmm. hybrid armies and little green men. Mm -hmm. Now, this was a speech uh, last week at Norwich University, and General Mark Miley is his name, chief of staff for the U.S. Army, told the audience, many of whom were ROTC cadets, that the future, the cadets will be dealing with, among other things, is hybrid armies and little green men. Now... Uh, some UFOers assumed this to be a demission that armies of aliens and alien-human hybrids are threatening the Earth, and you can watch where they're going to go with that. I bet it's going to be uh, pretty big, the way things can go. Um, but anyway, this is not what he was actually uh, talking about at all. Um, he was warning them about the complex makeup of the enemies that they will face, and that includes uh, terrorists and armies uh, without states, cyber warfare, unidentified armies working covertly. And there's also um, there's also like uh, in I think it was Russia mm-hmm. that these are um, armies, including uh, forces that are just seen like in the Ukraine that are believed to be Russian special forces, and uh, like in Ukraine and Crimea and they wear unmarked uniforms and drive unmarked vehicles. That's kind of scary. Mm -hmm. And uh, so Russia has denied that they've deployed these forces, but uh, it's been a strange case anyway. Anyway, so uh, we'll see again where people go with what he said. You know, unfortunately, he wasn't meaning, uh, not unfortunately, I'm going to say, but uh, he wasn't meaning what I believe a lot of people will take it, uh, you know, at face value that it was... Talking about aliens, yeah,
0: and it's kind of one of those crazy things. It's kind of a uh, turned into in some you know corners, especially these online discussion groups and stuff. Uh, it's kind of turned into one of the the Mexican Roswell slide kind of thing where uh, it, it, there uh, people heard him say this, and you know, and he's very straightforward: hybrid armies and little green men and UFO people are like, oh my gosh, you know, and they're writing and, and some well-known people wrote this is finally disclosure, proves the, the army knows that they're fighting with aliens and all this stuff. And I gotta say, it wasn't very difficult. I mean, when I saw it, I was gonna write about it. I thought this is really interesting. He should use these terms, but I thought he's either joking or these terms are military terms. Um, but it wasn't very difficult to find out that, surprisingly to me, these were military terms. And, uh, and people were saying, look, he's not joking because there's a video of him out there and he's very straightforward about these comments and, and everything. And, uh, and so it wasn't very hard to find these were military terms, at, but when people started saying that, Uh, You know, of course, the the people who have already committed to this idea that this army general is talking about aliens um, did not give up. They're still out there to this day saying, no, you know, he meant aliens. He didn't mean aliens. And I mean, these these terms are on Wikipedia, for goodness sakes. But this is really funny (laughs) development. So Friday. So I wrote my story to clear the water. Uh, and to write about, you know, um, what these terms really meant and everything. To give people a reference just before it got too big. Hey, before you get too excited, he wasn't talking about aliens. Here's what he was really talking about. Well, on Friday, the Army Times wrote a follow-up story and about how UFO enthusiasts are going crazy with with that lecture. And they quoted huh. our story, our open mind story. They said, oh, "However, yeah, really cool." They wrote, "However, the UFO uh, website, you know, UFO news website, Open Minds, tried to debunk the whole thing to let people know what was really going on." And they used a quote from my story, and then they went on to describe, you know, what those terms really meant, like you just had uh, outlined. So that was kind of cool. The Army Times uh, given us some some credit, but. Uh, Setting the record straight, they moved pretty quickly too to uh, to write their follow up UFO story.
1: Well, I got to tell you, if you watch uh, what unfolds about this, it'll be. Uh, I can just almost guarantee you that um, you're going to see some, you know, spots in some of the UK uh, tabloids and things like that. Next thing you know, it'll be everywhere. Yeah. I hate to sound like such a you know pessimist, but I, I just know. have seen it so many times. That, you're right. Um, they'll just take off with it.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I'm sorry to any listeners out there who are really excited that think that he was talking about aliens, but I mean, you could read my story and go to my links and read the Army Times story to see very clearly that uh, you know, these are terms and you know, this is like, these are terms that are in their lexicon. These are terms that this guy probably goes to briefings every day and they talk about hybrid armies and they talk about little green men and um, And so these are things they talk about regularly. So for him, these terms are every day. And he probably didn't think that, you know, the general public doesn't know what he's talking about when he says these things and that they would kind of uh, be taken aback a bit. But um, yeah, so that's the story. And you know what? This week's kind of been like that. Some other people, like there wasn't a whole lot of news, um, but the news that was out there was mostly from UK tabloids. Covering known hoaxes. So I'm sorry, people, but uh, you know this as well, Martin. Secure Team 10 had one or two stories out there. Those are fake videos. Those are hoaxes. Those are fake. Those aren't real. No matter if the UK um, Daily Express or the Daily Star uh, pick them up or the Sun, all of which are tabloids, which, of course, when you go to their stories, they're full of bikini girls doing all kinds of weird stuff. Um, you know, or or women without bikinis or anything. Uh, they, that's the other favorite thing to cover. But uh, these are tabloids who who really don't care about accuracy as much as sensationalism. But the security in ten and they're only thinly veiled hoaxes. I don't even think security in ten meant to hoax
1: everybody, but just have fun, and people run wild with that stuff. Wow. Just for the record, I never like to cover women without bathing. Suits, if you catch my drift.
0: Yeah, there's kind of a pun there. You never like to cover you know, women.
1: Just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sorry.
0: yeah, yeah. sorry. Yeah, sorry. I'm gonna make you hang here. by Are you
1: trying to make like a
0: awkward moment? <laughs> <Yeah>. here? <laughs> <laughs> I'm making you hang because if I would have moved on, it would have gotten you off the hook. But yeah. by waiting and now by talking about it, it's um kind of about what. Oh, yeah. you're trying to pretend it never happened now? Now that you're out in Russia, you're going to. This is your version of Little Green Men Deny It Ever Happened, even though we have I a recording. Have so you're learning idea from what Putin. You're <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and so uh, did you want to vent any frustration about Secure Team 10 or, or anything, uh, any comments? Do you agree that they're not real? Well,
1: yeah, you know, it's just a. Well, you know, it just kind of goes along with what I was saying just a few minutes ago, you know, unfortunately. And um, there are so many cases. Uh, I was talking to uh, Kevin Randall last night. And there are so many cases where, like, myth seems to become reality in these yeah. stories. And, um, you know, you can only do what you can do. And that's, you know, right, the, the gist of what really is going on. And just hopefully some of that will get out there like it did the Army uh paper saw that mm-hmm. and covered it which is good but all we can do you know personally all anybody can do is keep their side of the street clean and try to make uh, factual stories and not and be careful of the myths anyone mm-hmm. can fall into them
0: right so two things though that I want to mention that aren't myth are you know we talked about this last week there's a ufo detector um software out there we just put this we featured it on our um uh, UFO open mind UFO report that we posted Friday that's up on the internet and on our page you know our video thing, but mm. also last week's guest was Robert hastings that's the real deal I mean that is good, hard information, you know military witnesses uh, again, I just can't express enough that how important and how great uh that he's done this and that I do implore people to go download. And watch his uh, documentary. Have you been able to do that yet? No,
1: I had uh, I had such a busy week before I came to Russia. Oh, I can imagine. I yeah. wasn't able to do anything, but I will have some downtime here. I can do that.
0: Yeah, and there's Russian stories too. Russian nuke stories about the same thing happening here. Um, you know, accounts of military people in Russia uh, saying the same thing happened over there with things like UFOs coming over and. Turning off nukes and stuff. But uh, we did that last week. But uh, anyway, yeah, great, great stuff. Um, Otherwise, I did want to mention something on on another serious note. As serious as I can be, I guess. I didn't get much. I figured I want to bring awareness around this medical condition I have. And um, I I had to spend all day last Tuesday at the doctor's uh, part of this trial on this drug that I have for something called ankylosing lysing spondylitis so in my mm, videos a, what's that that doesn't sound good well Alejandro. it's it's yeah well i don't know in a way it's not as bad as it sounds but it kind of is so in my videos you know or if you've seen me um, a lot of people will mention, "Oh man, your neck looks like it hurts," or you look kind of hunched down a bit. I am because I have this thing called ankylosing spondylitis, which um, I wish I would have known about earlier, and that's why I want to tell people about it because I think there needs to be a lot more awareness. If I would have known that I had this condition, um, let's say you know, 15 years ago when it first started acting up, I could have. You know, saved a lot of my back curvature from unfortunately being curved like it is now. Um, and what it is is mm. it's it's akin to rheumatoid arthritis. It's a it's an immunity disease where essentially your immune system is overactive, and for some reason, in my case with arthritis, it's other joints, but in my case, it's the spine. It sees the spine and attacks the spine as if it's a, a virus or something. Oh my God! So, yeah. So what happens is the joints um, in between the spine get start to deteriorate and in order to The cartilage? Yeah, the cartilage because it attacks Mm. that and so those begin to close and then it also like your body um, tries to compensate so it grows more cartilage out from the bones essentially kind of thing Uh, and those spine, your spine then begins to fuse but it fuses curved. And it pushes forward, and so there's a lot of people. You might have seen people who are really bent over, uh, and through as the longer you have this, the more and more it pushes down. So what happens is you begin to get this in your 20s, and if you're lucky, it doesn't last very long. It can last anywhere from 20 to or 10 to, to 30 years. Usually, it goes away in your 40s or 50s. But um, if you catch it early enough, you can take some drugs that get rid of that inflammation. And then so you save, you know, from that um, fusing from happening so you don't lose mobility. Like I can't turn my head left or right very far. I, I'm, I can't bend over very far. And I've got this kind of like, you know, curve in my neck that people can see. Uh, and that will never go away because there's, you know, a few spine, spinal columns that are, are, are uh, fused. So, uh the unfortunate part is when I used to tell my doctors about my back hurting, you know, I thought it was, you know, they they would say, "Oh, you know, it's just regular back pain." And so they never said anything. They didn't tell me to go to a rheumatologist. So, if you're in your 20s and you have back pain, go to a rheumatologist. At least get checked because if I would have been checked, I could have been on the drugs and then I wouldn't have I only just started taking drugs about 2 years ago. Uh, to relieve this. And my back pain was severe. I mean, it was really bad. I had to watch mm-hmm. how I walked and stepped. I didn't even know how much it affected me until I got on this drug and it alleviated that. Um, so luckily, mm-hmm. my back has been fine the last couple of years. I used to think maybe it was because I was overach- overweight because years ago I was um, but I lost the weight and it still didn't go away and that's what triggered the alarm is I was going to the gym practically every day I'd lost 60 pounds working out anything I ever tried couldn't solve the problem I thought I'm just gonna have to live with this pain my girlfriend actually just kept pushing me you gotta go to the chiropractor so I did and luckily one of the chiropractors says you know what I think you may have ankylosing spondylitis because all the chiropractors told me your your back looks like the spine of a 90 year old so I finally wow. went and uh, got diagnosed and started to get the issue uh, worked on. But I'll never regain any of that mobility or be able to stand up straight. So, yeah, so if you if you have back pain, go get it checked. Don't think that you'll just have to live with it, even though, unfortunately, millions of people do just have to live with the pain. And that's why we have a huge issue with people getting hooked on, on pain drugs that's right. and painkillers. Mm-hmm. But um, – Luckily, so luckily in my case, there's a drug that can alleviate the pain, um, unlike others. But uh, and if you catch it early enough, you know you don't have these complications. So I just want people to know. And it is large. It's like one out of ten young men have this condition, ankylosing spondylitis. Wow. Now I have it worse than most, but still, that's a lot of
1: people. It really is. That's huge. Yeah. So ten so percent uh, mm-hmm. of. Wow, that's really something.
0: So I was thinking about it because I missed, you know, and I was thinking about it uh, yesterday. That wow, well, you know, uh, that affected my work week. And I was like, I should really start telling people about this, you know, so because people need to know that uh, they need to get their back checked if if they have back pains in their twenties.
1: So yeah, yeah. Uh, that's that's a good message. I'm glad you're getting that out there. You know, a lot of people have different types of back pain, but it's, you know. Uh, if it's persistent then you're right you should get it checked it could be a number of things mm-hmm. and i always hear you don't jump into back surgery right away either you really wait it out to see if it's something else or you can do something else a lot of people have regrets yeah. from getting surgery
0: well the surgery is a lot of them some of them only work 75 percent of the time so but uh, my mm-hmm. mom's going to try one of them because she's tried everything and, and hasn't had relief from the pain and she doesn't want to get hooked on the painkillers and uh, yeah. In the U.S., we have such a problem with that.
1: And we do. There's so many people, and I know a few people who have died from it. Yeah. So, um, you know, overdosed. So. Yeah, and um,
0: Prince might have. There's suspicions that Prince's death may be due to that, and they're looking into it. So we'll find out soon if that's the case. But regardless, he was someone who suffered from from hip joint pain. Um, so, so yeah, it's a really difficult situation. I mean. It's, it's the biggest health issue is, is people with different sorts of pain. But um, just don't yeah. be stubborn, I guess, like me. Go to the doctor. Get it checked out. And unfortunately, even your general practitioner may not give you the best advice or know what's going on. So you might just on your own go to a specialist or tell your doctor, I want to get it checked out. Or you can go to the chiropractor if you suspect and ask them if there's any fusing going on or what happens is these little spines will start to grow out Um starting to connect your, um, you know, the parts of your spine, uh, different things that your your chiropractor can identify. So go get it checked out. So there you go. Yeah. So, um, that's it for news. Uh, there are a couple other stories out there. Roger Marsh uh, from MUFON has written a couple UFO sighting stories that we have on the site from last week also. Nothing with photos or videos, which of course people like. But still, uh, people love to hear from other people uh, you know, what they've seen. So, And of course, a lot of the popular UFO sightings out there rely on the credibility of the witness. And they don't have pictures or videos. So... So, yeah, check right. those out. Anything else? Not from not from overseas, nope. All right. It's so cool that you sound so great. You sound like you're in the room here.
1: All right. Yeah. I'm loving it, yeah. <laughs> All right.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining us from Russia. What time is it there?
1: It is uh, 9.40 in the evening. Oh, wow.
0: Yeah, it's 11.40 in the a.m. here. So, Well, cool. Yeah. Thanks, buddy, and uh, you have a great time out there. All right, you take care. All right, let's go ahead and hear what Mr. Hoffman has to say. I am very excited to welcome for the first time to the show, Rich Hoffman.
2: Hey, Alejandro, it's exciting to be here. I, I haven't been with you before, so this is a new kind of thing for us to chat. And, and I'm looking yeah.
0: Well, it's, and it's funny because I do this sometimes and I told you that, you know, when we set this up, oh yeah, I have you back on the show, but uh, you're one of the guys I just talked to so regularly that I had figured you've been on the podcast before, but you haven't. I think we did like a Skype video interview um, before, but uh, it's wonderful to be talking to you on the podcast here.
2: Welcome. Well, thanks. Looking forward to it. It's a great uh, program that you've got going on. I've been enjoying it over the uh, period of time you've been doing it, so it's Great Thank stuff.
0: You. Thank you. You know, and your Skype picture here, you don't have a bow tie. Usually I see you with a bow tie.
2: <laughs> you know, I get it's amazing to me, but I, I do wear a bow tie a lot and I mm-hmm. need every day to work and stuff like that. So when I don't wear it, or when somebody has a picture or sees a picture without it, man, I get grief about the fact that I'm not wearing my bow tie. And yeah. Like, well, like- who is that individual? That's- yeah who is that's not rich Hoffman I mean he doesn't have a bow tie on
0: so yeah well I got a big kick out of sending you that gift the other day of the, the doctor who the Matt Smith doctor who because he's always saying bow ties are cool so um I don't yeah. know if you saw that but
2: <laughs> yes I did yeah <laughs> yep I, I get a lot of that doctor who thing it's like yeah. where's your Tardis <laughs>
0: <laughs> well doctor who is really cool so that's a compliment
2: yeah well thank you so much Thanks. I'll be wearing my bow tie down at the MUFON Symposium too. Yeah.
0: So, <laughs> so I guess we'll get into UFOs. I guess that's what we we're going to talk about. Uh, but
2: yes, I I gotta switch away from bow ties. Huh? <laughs> yeah.
0: At least for now. I'm sure okay. they'll come up again.
2: All right.
0: Eventually. But um, when did you first get into UFOs? Because you've been like with MUFON since, uh, like, the turn of the
2: century or something, right? <laughs> yeah, back when the dinosaurs, I think, somehow, you know, I mean, no, no literally, I, I got, well, first off, I got started with UFOs back in, in, in 1964. Back, in fact, I just celebrated my 52nd uh, year of UFOlogy. Uh, it was April 24th, 1964. When wow. The, well, Lonnie Zamora case happened, as a matter of fact. I think that's really what that that's what really got me and then I found out I was living in Dayton Ohio and Project Blue Book was up the road and uh, that even did me in further because it was like wow that's pretty neat there's a project at the Air Force base um which I hadn't even no clue about and uh, and then suddenly I got you know pulled into the whole subject uh, I couldn't put a book down I was reading everything newspaper clippings, anything on the subject and uh but I I joined MUFON I say so let me go back because I I started my own organization and I, I in fact it was called Days Cap which was uh, Dayton you know committee on Soci- uh, committee on aerial phenomena similar to NICAP you know uh-huh. so I, I would I, guess that you were pretty
0: young then if you don't want to you don't have to reveal the age but
2: well no I mean I was thirteen years old when uh-huh. I was, wow so I was only in eighth grade you know that's what what got me but you know uh and then by the time i was 15 and uh i was actually on the phil donahue show in dayton and uh you're kidding no i i thought you knew that yeah no, I, I didn't
0: I, know that and i'm a, i love phil donahue
2: yeah i love phil donahue too and I, I got on that and this is before he went and became really famous up in chicago but and nevertheless he had the same kind of show format that he had when he went up there and uh and he was just right up the street actually from where i lived i could ride my bike to the the station and stuff but uh he had heard me i was doing presentations as a you know already uh, around the city to wow. different groups and somebody mentioned my name and i guess the next thing i know is i got on the show and, at 15 yeah 15 years old and i i handled all the questions pretty well and uh and then uh then what happened was because it played in dayton the next thing i know is i, w- I was getting phone calls from everybody and their brother that wanted to know more. And and then the next thing I know is I'm I'm like giving, like I said, lectures everywhere, television shows. I was pulled on. Oh my God, I can't even begin to tell you how many times I was on TV. And then, uh you know, then it got to be the point where like, you know, uh, I was literally getting calls from everybody and their brother. And I didn't have really uh, uh, enough people to help me out. And it was like, I didn't even know that many people in UFO subject. But suddenly I started to pull people together and we started actually having meetings in my garage, uh, garage. And, you know, I started pulling together a group and then, uh, and eventually I got, uh, there was another group down in Southern Ohio, uh, in the Fairfield area called the, and we called ourselves the Ohio UFO investigators league. And, uh, I got connected with them somehow. I became their, uh, their director of investigations. Uh, and then, you know, then what happened was I, I had heard that there was a thing called Midwest UFO Network that was starting up, and it was in sagin, sagin Illinois, and I thought, well, I need to get connected with them, and so I, I joined up, and, you know, so I'm one of those, like, early people that was with the Midwest UFO group, and I got my first manual, which was like, you know, <laughs> I still have my manual from that. Wow. And, uh, and so, yeah, I've been with them for a long, long time, 40-some-odd years. Mm -hmm. And the thing that's exciting for me is that, you know, after being with them all this time, this is my first chance to actually now do a presentation at a symposium. Can you believe it? This is your first? The very first time that I'm a presenter at the MUFON symposium uh, since I've been with them. Wow. In 1978, uh, I I hosted the uh, MUFON symposium and we rented out the entire dayton convention center oh and this was during close encounters this is like we had a big over one three thousand you got it so this is the one where heinick was there donald kehoe was there wow uh, leonard stringfield was talking about crash retrievals ted blocher was there all these people that are you know incredible and it was a and then uh we actually had the filming of, or like a huge screen that we had in the Dayton Convention Center that showed uh, Close Encounters or that, that mothership scene, mm-hmm. uh, and that was, you know, coincided with. But I, that I was actually up on stage and I was a moderator for that, introducing the guests. Wow! But that's that's it. So I'm pretty excited about actually now doing my my first presentation with MUFON at a symposium. How cool! I'm excited too because
0: I'm doing Mufon for the first time, and I it feels like, you know, yeah. I've been around Mufon for a long time, but not even a fraction of it, as long as as you have, and that's not a dig to your age. That's all the, right. That is in honor of your um, yeah of your I don't know. Uh, you're an elder statesman.
2: I guess so. I've got the gray hair to prove it. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, I've but... got gray hair too. So you you. Oh. You look, talking about going back all of these years, you don't look to be uh, that old.
2: Well, thank you. I, I guess uh, I'm very fortunate in the gene area. <laughs> so
0: how did you and the UFO community feel when Close Encounters came out?
2: Oh, well, to me, I, I, I can tell you this much, that we were all very, very excited because here was for the very first time, I mean, it's so hard to get movies that depict, you know, actual, true to life kind of events. You know that they keep the they keep to the stories as they're happening. So, a good example would be the, you know, Roy Neary in the truck, and then you know, and uh, the truck mm-hmm. goes dead and it starts back up on its own, and and then you had uh, the varieties of shapes that you'd see. Uh, we 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 really haven't had too many motherships and some other things, but we've had those like little you know, like ball of lights that are moving around and things like that. And and you got a, you got a chance to see a lot of other different aspects, like the radar screen mm-hmm. where you, you see him watching something. So you had some elements of it that, that Heineck was able to bring in in his cameo performance. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, that it was cool to be able to see Jacques Vallée in Francois Truffaut's uh, characterization of him. And so it, it kind of like made it, you know, brought it home for us. And we thought that that would be a, a big, very big, Helpful uh, kind of like uh, event, if you would, mm-hmm. and uh, it was to a large extent, except that you know, yeah, it, you know. But the the real problem was that you know when when Blue Book decided to terminate, and they got the condom report, did the nail in the coffin, and then you had the National Academy of Sciences actually now doing the nail on the scientist. Uh, it, it just put an end to a lot of things, and then so, suddenly we lost. We lost the 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 top cover over a period of time where we had we're now doing the same kind of work. And then people were like, oh, well, the Air Force thinks it must be pretty good. So, okay, it's got some credibility to it. Right. Mm -hmm. But but as you watched and I I even do presentations on this, but over the period of time, the real UFO subject became blurred by all of the distractions that go around it. And that's. You know, I'm talking about the fact that you know it's it's the the, the mythology that's been created around this whole thing now is, is far different than than anything that we had back in that day. Mm-hmm. You know, and so you know that that's the the sad part because now we spend our times with distractions versus spending our times on the real UFO or unidentified uh, objects that we can't explain. It's funny you say that
0: because. I had thought that um, Heineck, uh, you know, must have really loved Close Encounters because of his involvement. And like you, it's so accurate as to what happens, and and I love the heck out of that movie. But uh, I heard from Don Schmidt, Heineck didn't really like the movie, and I can totally see it because of that. He felt that it was sensationalized and it wasn't real, they went too far away. Departing from the actual real live events, and you know having been on television like you have, and mm-hmm. having your work um, be misrepresented by uh, entertainers, mm-hmm. uh, I can identify with the way Heineck
2: would have felt. Yeah, and he he did. I mean, I, I had conversations with him, and he did say that. I actually had a chance to go up and be in his house with him and Mimi. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And in fact, Mark Ratigan was there as well. But I mean, yeah. I mean, it, conversations with him was that he was disappointed. We all have that same thing where we go in and we we provide all this wonderful information, and we want these recreations to be, you know, exact. We'd mm-hmm. like to be able to see real cases presented, and and then Hollywood and producers and various other people turn it into something completely different. And then you're saying, well, well wait a minute, that's the that's not what happened, mm-hmm. you know. And then they're out there like either creating another story and. Adding to the, the the mythology that separates us even further from the real legitimate data. Yeah. If you really read the case up front, you'd see that it was this way, and then you'd find out that it's portrayed. You know, they broadened the story, and you know, I mean, we see that all the time, and and even those recreations you see on television, which are just pure BS. I mean, they just they they basically just devastate and create. Un- In other words, you could see like the Cash Landrum case where. There might be blue sparks because they portray it. Blue sparks jumping out of the bottom of the thing. Well, there weren't any blue sparks. I mean, it's like, that didn't have that. Mm-hmm. And then, so then you'd see, like, well, people saying, hey, I saw something that looks like but okay, had blue sparks out of it. You know, da-da, okay, well, there you go. Yeah, and it's, and it's off, and then the world of the internet is just abysmal in the sense of uh, passing around truth. More untruth gets passed around every day than any truth you can get out there. Mm-hmm. So we don't and then you know I'll say this right now I'm going to be presenting uh, I was asked by a visiting professor uh, that's coming to Huntsville to speak at the University of Alabama Huntsville in an honors college class uh, coming up next month and I'm excited about it because one of the topics that we're going to be talking and I'm going to be able to use the, uh, the subject goes extremely well with it is he wants to be able to take his psychology class and to teach critical thinking skills. And one of the things that I know, because I've also been in the training and development field. In fact, I was a, uh, I was with a company or an organization called American Society for Training and Development, and I became a, a regional director up in the New England area. But we started to, we did a study where we found out that. Uh, we started to see that critical thinking skills was one of the things that we were missing in schools. Hmm. And so here you see those two, and this was like, you know, you know, several, oh, this was like maybe 30 years or 20, 25 years ago or something. Anyway, the bottom line is we see that that's out there and continuing to evolve and worsen to a right. point where you don't have, you have either a gullibility, uh, you know, I accept everything because it's on the internet or I, you don't have any critical thinking, you know, that mm-hmm. they So we So I'm going to go over and present them, you know, the UFO information. Uh, i going to talk about it, and we're going to walk through a case. I thought I'd use the Aguadilla case, since I'm going to be talking about it, and just say, okay, let's, let's walk through a case. And then to see the kinds of things that they can come up with and to see how they think mm-hmm. and to try to promote that. So I'm excited about that. But I guess what I'm trying to say is uh, we have people that watch those Lousy shows that are on that are misproduced and not correct, and people accept them, and they without question. That's what I saw. It was, it's therefore it is, you know. Mm-hmm. And so it's very sad uh, that we have that. Yeah, uh, I think. Uh, it, but you know. Yeah. Go ahead.
0: Oh, just I was going to say my my last guess. I, I think, as you know, Robert Hastings also oh, yeah. what, uh, X, expressed his. Mm-hmm. Frustration. And he even he even used a bad word.
2: Yes. And I applaud his bad word because (laughs) because he's he's so down to earth and he expresses, you know, with, uh, you know, kind of like this is the way it is. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. You know, it's just horrible.
0: Yeah. Well, at least Close Encounters uh, was a fiction movie. Whereas a lot of these shows, like like the ones, I think, what is generating your frustration, my frustrations, Robert Hastings' frustrations, are these modern television shows which purport themselves, which try to say that they're documentarian or they're journalistic, when they're actually largely Mm -hmm. fictional.
2: Yes. Yeah, completely agree. Uh, You know, you don't know how many people saw the movie even fourth- uh for the fourth encounter what was that what called? oh the fourth kind the fourth yeah kind. yeah the fourth kind and yeah. believed that that whole story was actually true
1: yeah and
2: argued with me about the fact that that's that's the way it is that mm-hmm. this is the way it is and and i'm going like i'm sorry it was a movie yeah it was fake people it was faked and you know and then you can tell people that and it's like they still don't want to accept it Mm-hmm. I have, I've had a, you know, my own experience looking and, uh, and seeing the Google loon balloon take off from here in uh, Huntsville. Mm. It was reported for four days as it was moving up. And I watched it in CMS, the New uh, database. I watched it and tracked it every day for, and as it m- progressively moved up from me to Tennessee, to Kentucky, to, and it, and it ended up in Pennsylvania. And then eventually it ended up in Canada. But this thing was reported as a UFO along the way, and don't you know? I mean, when I explained to everybody that it was a Google Loon balloon that was launched from Huntsville, and it was a NASA-engineered balloon, solar balloon, they didn't accept it. I'm sorry, it's no, it was a UFO. It was a, it was a it was an alien spacecraft, and you're wrong.
0: Yeah, it's funny because uh, <coughs> one of my first cases as a as a UFO uh, field researcher with MUFON was a video case, and we watched this video, and it was amazing. It was these white objects in the sky, and none of us could figure out what it was. It wasn't birds. It wasn't planes. They were bright objects, you know, five or six of them, and it was shocking. Well, I took that video, and I, I, I wasn't that great with video editing at the time. Not that I'm a master at it now. Luckily, we have Michael here, who is. But I, I was able to zoom in and I could see the flapping of the wings and it was birds. It was duck butts is what I told everybody. <laughs> it's because it, they had just flown through uh, some rain and they were, then the sun was hitting on them and they were just really brightly lit. And when I sent the email to everybody, hey, these are duck butts, they didn't want to believe me. And then I showed them, well, look, look at this particular one. This is a duck. Well, that may be a duck, but the others weren't. So I don't know. We I guess sometimes we get so invested that this I, I, I at an idea that it's hard to to step back and say, oh man, we were wrong about that one.
2: Yep. Um. And to this day, I mean, it's like you know, you got people out there. Like good example. I was I was doing some reading back of some old literature that I had that uh, that dealt with. Back, I actually got to meet uh, Major Hector Quintanilla when he was still. Uh, at- wow. The, the Blue Book. He was the
0: last guy to run
2: Blue Book. You got it. He closed the doors, and uh, and I, you know, of course, the other thing was for me. It was I got to know a number of them well enough that, uh, in fact, I got to also sit on some cases that I was on where I had a Blue Book officer next to me. Uh, wow. To so I had I've had one of those like rare experiences that, that before they closed the project, but uh, yeah. But anyway, uh, in fact to me it was exciting was that they let me use the radar approach control to be able to contact them if I had an object that I was, like, looking into. Really? Wow.
0: Yeah, so, so, I mean, it sounds like, you know, this is a, some good insight because a lot of people feel, you know, Blue Book was a cover-up. It was just a cover. I mean, no, it, it,
2: what what it failed to do was it, it, its whole thing was to go out and to just, like, almost like in, in the context of MUFON, go out, Get data, fill out a form, make sure that the form is filled out completely, bring it back, stick it in hypothetically in, a, in, a, in a, their own like database, whether it be files or whatever like that. But they were never really there to go and to take the material and look, look at it and do the research on it, which is why Quinella was like saying, you know, if you can find somebody that would actually do something with this data, I'd be happy to provide it. And so uh, when he got when he got the uh, University of Colorado project underway, he was extremely, you know, wanting to pass it along. And of course, oh, by that time, I mean, you know, he's so, you know, I want to get out of this thing. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I want to, you know, it's not going anywhere. We don't need to do this anymore in the, in the public. I mean, they were the, he wasn't even getting all the, the good sightings. I mean, it's like, you know, if you took a look at him, they were small office with a secretary, a clerk, or this and that. Uh you know, as it's already been pointed out, you know, even by the Bollinger men- memo that that all the legitimate, you know, stuff will be passed off uh, to others, you know, and if it, 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 he didn't even get those cases, because even in the classified world, he wouldn't even get him. Uh, his staff wasn't even uh, able to get the, uh, the the real classified stuff. So. So hypothetically, I mean, he's just getting the stuff that's low visibility and it wasn't going anywhere. Nobody was studying it. He was able to get a, you know, the Condon thing was probably put in and, and help uh, being fostered by the CIA, which, by the way, they, they've been doing that since the Robertson panel. And uh, and so you had the CIA helping to put the squelch on it. You had uh, and, and they just, you know, eventually were able to get out of it because it was costing taxpayers money, not going anywhere. Nobody was doing anything with it. And they weren't exactly coming up with anything that uh was uh, you know proved that we were being visited.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And uh and so with that being said, you know, I and Kehoe and them had you know constant, you know, run-ins. You know, he was trying to Nightcap would be out there trying to say, well, the Air Force isn't doing this or not doing that. And sure they weren't. But uh but at the same time, it you know, it's like there was this lack of really truly interest in this subject because it was really looked at as being and and that's true even today by the way i mean i work in the military world i've been in it since you know for god's sakes i started uh when i went to as i i'm in a contractor uh, for with the us army material command which is the corollary to the air force material command up in dayton that actually had the project uba Mm -hmm. so So
0: on those on on those lines like uh First of all, I guess, because uh, I want to get into this, is did your work, your early uh, interest in UFOs influence uh, your career choices? And uh, yeah, if you could share what you do and have done as a career.
2: Yeah, so I mean, it, I, I guess I was always interested in the military. I mean, I, I wasn't, you know, I, I actually tried to go into the military uh, when I got to college. And I think that, you know, I think on some level I was interested in knowing what they knew and I thought, well, maybe I can become... And so I was in the Air Force ROTC and uh, when I was in college and I was in it for a very short time because guess what? They, they basically said that I've got a heart murmur, rheumatic fever, you're not allowed to go into the service. Okay, great. So that thus ended my career there. And then I kind of like, you know, uh, just drop the ball, let it go. And, and you know, of course, I, and everybody in the, this field uh you know you can't make a living off of being a ufologist unless you're going to go out around you know uh, even you know writing a whole bunch of books and and maybe the nick redfern method or something like that you know or whatever but uh, you know i don't even then you have to complement your your income and and i just couldn't make it so i had to go off and get a career and i you couldn't be ufos and so eventually i got into the it world because i have a strong interest in the it world and then lo and behold when i was in the dc area i I uh, Was asked to go and to do some training or something like that. It was with a company that was a training company. In fact, I was head of the training, uh, uh, and I went over. and The next thing I know is that they wanted me to come and be a trainer there, and that turned out to be the uh, the Army Material Command. I thought, wow, that's pretty interesting. So here I am. I'm a you know, I'm an IT kind of guy that that's working with a, a whole variety of companies, depending upon which contract wins. And I, I've been a defense contractor. I, I, I'm working in the IT world. I was working with a, even the Booz Allen Hamilton, which is the same company that Edward Snowden was uh, in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and I, you know, I, and I've and I've earned the trust of uh, of the uh, the government. You know, from the standpoint of all these years doing my IT work, and they they value the work that I do, and I I help them out in a lot of different. We're doing cloud computing. We're we're actually doing data center consolidation and. I helped uh, play in on that, so I'm at the IT strategic level for the Army Material Command, and I've become a you know pretty much known there. But you know they also know, and I don't hide it that I'm into I have an interest in UFOs. I mean my cube is decorated with UFO paraphernalia. People, are, <laughs> you know, people know that that's where I'm at. You know, I've I've had a number of other people that I worked around. I had a friend of mine who. Uh, that his job was to monitor conversations that were possibly coming out of area 51 Really? Yeah, I mean he he was his job was to go out there and to see if he could pick up any conversations he would uh out there and they do that to be able to ensure that there's no leaks coming from off the post and stuff wow. like that. And that's what his job was. And so I've had conversations like that. I've talked to other people in the military. There, most of them are very curious, but there's absolutely nothing that I see in the entire command that shows any remote connection or involvement in anything that looks like, smells like UFOs. So I I have kind of like the same experience that John Alexander has when he's, you know, he, if you listen to or read his books, he says, well, you know, I used to work in the Army Material Command in the R&D world, and he worked in INSCOM and other places, and... You look around, you don't see any interest in that subject at all, and so I can, you know, <laughs> nobody's bothered to ask me what I know, what I do, what I like that, and I'm going like, okay, so they really don't have a care in the world about it, and it, it really hasn't done anything for them, and and certainly, uh, if if there is any remote interest, it's like, you know, my God, I don't know where they're hiding because I've been all over the command, and and I can't see anything that looks like or you know, addresses that. That's why, you know, I've always maintained that if there's any body that really cares about this subject at all, it's going to be, you know, a, a, maybe some sort of a, a very close hold, you know, highly secret compartmentalized group of people. And then, you know, if there's any R&D work, it's not in the government world, it's out in the, uh, in the commercial world. It's, it's like the Northrop's and all that stuff like that who are in the Black Project world. And none of that gets con- conveyed or translated over to the uh, the people. Like, for example, the propulsion you might come up with in the in the in the black world is not going to be shared over in the commercial world. Isn't that sad? So NASA can't benefit if we came up with uh, anti-gravity devices in the one world with the other one. So uh, you know, so that's that's the the problem that you see, and 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 some of the stuff that I'm, I'm aware of, but. It's been a great career i've enjoyed working there uh and like i said that they they tolerate a ufologist within them and i that's okay i mean i i'm uh mm-hmm. i've seen too much and experienced too much that i'm not going to stop now and you know i've got yeah. this security clearances and all that stuff like that but i can't possibly even begin to tell you anything that shows anything that looks like smells like a ufo so mm-hmm. and to, on that note i mean just uh with your
0: years of experience you mentioned the Bolander memo where it yeah. was like essentially anything yeah. that was a, a national security concern was sent somewhere else other than Blue Book. Yeah. So um, but the problem is, and I don't know that anybody knows for sure uh, where those
2: went. Yeah, well, you have, you know, in, uh, exactly. I, I think, that you know, it's it's hard to find out. You know, I've seen seen speculation that it went to uh, the Navy uh, and that might have been in, you know, the the intelligence world of the Navy. And, I mean, there's parts of that that can make sense and stuff like that because it's, you know, but you can't really seem to track down things. It's not like that there's an easy paper trail to find that tells you where those little nuggets would be. Uh, To me, what I've always believed is that, you know, the DARPA world, DARPA is a one of those things that came about in the like nineteen sixty time frame and uh before that it was ARPA you know and anyway so uh but anyway, so it would have done things like you know encouraging uh you know corporations and things like that go off to go off in a certain direction. so in other words, I get a let's say I've got a crash and I got material from the crash, I would be able to take that material and probably. You know, and say, hey, look, DARPA, look at this here. And then DARPA would go out and create a contact or contract or put it out on a request for investigation or information and stuff like that. And you would have had a whole bunch of people providing new uh, papers that would have been collecting the R&D stuff, uh, you know, that type of information. Plus, you've got, you know, like Foreign Technology Division at wright Pat, And you've got like, you know, here you've got uh, in Huntsville, you've got Missile and Space Intelligence Center, MISIC. Uh, You have a number of these places where they collect the debris and stuff like that, and they re-engineer it, and that's what their job is, to re-engineer stuff, to see if they can tear it apart, figure out how it runs, and that's what we do. So every government on the planet does the same kind of thing, so it's no surprise. And so
0: people know, though, who are listening, they're talking about like a Russian uh, maybe satellite or or missile or something, taking that and back-engineering that
2: correct yeah uh-huh. we get a, another it's a missile that uh, that came down it might might have been a scud or something like that the scud gets brought back we tear it apart and we look at it mm-hmm. so the nature of of what we do with debris and, and 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 all that stuff like that is passed along if we if we collected a new kind of gun for example i mean well, that would go over to the r&d people that would be working with it and it would get passed off to them and And then you know that a lot of those R&D shops are contract companies. They're contract sheds, so they go off and they do their whatever they're they're doing. They're going to do with it to re-engineer it. So you know people see that as being the mysterious government and all this other wonderful stuff. But you know the, the bottom line is that every day you've got these people that are out there that they're helping to do something to protect us, and that's their purpose is to defend us, and and so. I have to applaud them and, and support everything that they do because the things that they come up with are only there to help protect this country and the people in it, you know. And so, more power to them, and I applaud that kind of level of concern. Just mm-hmm. like even, you know, if you go back to Roswell, uh, Alejandro, I mean, it's like, you know, was it right that they came in with a cover story? You're doggone right, or was it was with the right thing. I mean, it's too bad that they came up with multiple stories, but. But the bottom line was that, you know, we already had Soviets that have uh, already penetrated a lot of our, uh, even our defense areas and and our government. And don't you know that the moment you had this thing where there was a disc clot, every government around the planet was already asking their spies to get the information, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So put it to rest, stop it, and deflect that kind of thing and create a cover story. And that's exactly what happened there. Was it a nice thing to do? Well, not to ufologists, <laughs> but to the government? Yeah, maybe you needed to do that because every spy out there is collecting the debris and going to do the same thing to you that uh, you want to do to them. So,
0: mm-hmm. And so you have a feeling that um, what do you think did crash in, in Roswell?
2: Well, I mean, I think that I think that legitimately, if you you know, if you take a look at all the collected you know evidence or testimony, let me put it that way, the testimony that you heard, and the sheer volume of the monitoring that went on of people and the you know the threats that were made and and everything else that that you know of course that uh, Kerry and Schmidt had collected in terms of their work. Uh, as well as others, you know, I mean, that something unknown legitimately came down there. And there were uh, beings of some sort that that didn't match anything from this earth. And so I really believe that there is something to it. Uh, You don't see that level of monitoring of conversations and threats and everything else, which go way beyond uh, anything that you, you and I would experience even even today, I mean at least as we believe, uh, that went on for you know years. Uh, you know, and so uh, there, there was something there. And I, I believe that there was a real event. I think that it was the, the materials that were collected uh, were confiscated. I think it was taken much like I told you before. I said that it goes to an R&; d shop and guess where an R&;D shop is well up in Dayton, Ohio at Wright Pat Airfield and uh take it up there collect as much as you can and probably there it got filtered out to other places and uh memorial institute was uh under contract uh with the air force at the time and that's a think tank and so quite logically since they played a heavy role in shape memory uh alloy uh development uh which happens to be similar to the memory metal that was was found in Roswell. Um, that we suddenly see that in 1960s that kind of shape memory alloys and these uh, uh, other kinds of things coming out that are bendable and metal that bends and and folds back and uh, Comes back to the original shape. We start to see that happening Uh nitinol nickel titanium alloy is uh, Is an example of that and right now? Now that nitinol, I mean, it's it's part of our R&D work. So it, a lot of that stuff that might have been found and collected was passed off to, uh, again, to defense contractors, whether it was through uh, Philip Corso or, or not, I don't know. But, I mean, I still think that it was passed around and and it would have been used or leveraged in some capacity. And that's what we do. That's mm-hmm. what the government, that's what the military does. Right. So, And for people who might not remember or know that Philip Corso
0: was a a guy who um, worked at R&D, worked at the Pentagon, he claims that that's what he did. He was given the Roswell material and uh, gave it off to the various contractors. Um, And it would seem an advantage to contractors is they're not uh, subject to FOIA and they they can um, have people sign gag orders. Um. And you could be sued for lots of money if you talked about something.
2: Yeah, exactly. And you know, and now all this is—trust me, it's all speculation because mm-hmm. you can't, you you won't find a, a written transfer of—we <laughs> haven't found it yet. <laughs> yeah. um, the the handbill that shipped this Roswell debris to this place, to this place, to this place it's 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 only on the basis of, you know, repeatable stories that somewhat you can look at and you can say okay, well that makes sense, that makes sense, that doesn't make sense and you call that out and you and and that's the way we have all had to work. Um it's occasionally that you know that's the nice thing about Robert Hastings is he's been able to find a document paper trail that helps to him out, which is great. You know, uh, Len Springfield, for example, when he was doing all his collection on crash retrievals, had a lot of, uh, of testimonials uh, with a lot of different people, but short on documents, and and that's where again it's the frustration and so if you don't have a paper trail it's like hard to get it and then you have to rely on getting additional credible sources to to validate that you might have heard from that because again if I go talk to five people I'll get different five different stories right
0: yeah which is kind of the same problem with Roswell uh, yeah. you have a lot of witnesses but yeah. then skeptics point out you have a lot of discrepancies between uh the testimony
2: well and you know, I, I would love them to do, you know, ever a UFO investigation or a criminal investigation. You're always going to get discrepancies between people. Mm-hmm. So, so you use the the two people that that have a different story as the means to debate and discredit the rest of the stuff. I'm sorry, that doesn't work for me. <laughs> you know, that's not how it works. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, too bad, but legitimately. Well we could just drop the whole thing because everybody's got an opinion about UFOs. I mean, that's okay. There's nothing to it, you know?
0: Well, I do want to move on to, uh, the Puerto Rico, uh, case because, uh, you were part of that. And of course we've talked a lot about it on the show. We've had Robert on, uh, you were going to come to the symposium to talk about it, but you were (laughs) off vacationing in Mexico or something.
1: Yeah. Shapes and around
0: the beach. So, uh, Robert came to talk about it, Robert Powell, but, um, so that's unique, too, because that you have a video, uh, and now it's been confirmed that it was a Homeland um,
2: Security video. Indeed. Uh, yeah, we were, you know, the whole thing about this video, and you, you know as well as I do, you get some, you, you see videos all the time. Uh, people pass you, like, YouTube links, or they pass you this or that, and you take a look at it, and there's, of course, no... There's no, nothing that validates the video is done by that photographer. There's nothing that, that's out there that, that helps you to legitimate, uh, uh, create legitimacy around that, 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 that video. Well, I mean, much the same to us as we had, uh, you know, we got the video passed to us very early on and it, it's like, well, okay, well, is this really a Homeland security, whatever, you know, and, uh, what, how do we know that, you know? And, uh, and so uh, we were extremely, you know, while we thought that it was like a very compelling video and it still is a compelling video, it, it's just the matter of like, well, how do you validate that this isn't something that's contrived? And so for us, it was a very critical thing to, to make sure that we could validate that. And that's why when you see, when we, when we looked at and got the radar data, the radar data was able to confirm the fact that indeed, a, a custom uh, border protection plane did take off at that time and did fly two circles around the airport. Uh, and, and, and the times matched up with the, with, uh, the case. And then you look at the, the, the codes that come in for the that, and you find out that the codes that the ID codes that, that come up match what's been handed over to Customs and Border Protection. So these are uh, that that was able to be helpful. Then we then later through thankfully uh, a Freedom of Information Act uh, done by Billy Cox, he was able to get uh, uh, an actual uh, piece of information back that again validated the fact that it was one of theirs. So that was an important piece that we had to do is to confirm that that was the case. Mm -hmm. And of course then, from there, you know, it was the, we spent, you know, two years analyzing the video. That was, that was really the whole thing. We were, we were really not doing a case investigation as much as a video investigation. Mm -hmm. So we were tackling the video. What can this be? Can it's infrared, you know, wow. What did all these numbers on the screen mean? you know, and there were a lot of numbers around the screen. And people, if they want to go there, you just go to uh, explore, E-X-P-L-O-R-E, S-C-U dot org. Uh, explore, s u dot O-R-G. And they can, you know, you can see the video. We've got the video posted up there. We've got our paper posted up there. You can see the radar animation that's going on. And so, you know, you began one of those things where it's like, well, what is this thing? And, and you know, can you even determine that? And uh you know and then we how does the video what can we deduce from the video and so let's take it and break it into 7027 frames and look at every single frame let's compute the uh, the, the, the we know that the frame rate was one thirtieth of a second so there's going to be 30 of these frames uh it's going to last one second uh what does that give us and then we had to go out and learn about the camera you know we got a whole we first we thought it was a flare camera and then I went and did some checking on the, uh, the installation, found out that it was not a FLIR camera, and uh, they told me it was a Westcam L3 camera, and then I went and contacted Westcam and spoke with them, and they confirmed that it was the, one of theirs, and uh, we started to go off there in terms of getting camera information, and we, we got some camera information. And then over a period of time, we've, you know, we, we finally were able to make contacts with different, like, IR technicians, uh, different people that were doing things. And, hey, uh, the, the story keeps evolving and we keep learning more and more about infrared that, that all of us as uh, the team of, uh, of basically five, me and five others, um, we, we learned about infrared more so than anything else. And we learned about what the object was. Uh, we did a lot of uh, obviously a lot of math and a lot of calculations on the, you know the different things in terms of speed and its maneuvering into the water and, and all this other stuff and and uh, what the temperature might be. and we did some a lot of investigation on that. The bottom line was that that we we put together what we could based upon the information that we had. And then we said, "Hey, what could this conceivably be?" And then when you, you know, typically in ufology, and this is the way we do things, it's like in Heineck called it the de-escalation of hypotheses. You start off with the known and you work to the unknown, right? And so we, uh, we did what he did, which was basically, well, it's not a bird. It's not a plane. It's not a kite. It's not this. It's not that, you know. Do we know anything that can look like that, move like that? No, 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 no. And then you come down with where you, and hey, look, you know, unless this is something that is a classified project then you took the risk of flying a classified project over the uh, uh, and stopped a, a, an aircraft from taking off and you're're you're, you're, you're flying over an airport for God's sake uh, you know then why would you do that you know and, and but that's the only thing you're left with other than it being something completely unknown that we just don't know about and um
0: uh, and i mean you do not there's a couple there's still a few out there who uh believe it could be a bird or a balloon
2: sure Mm-hmm. but you know i mean that that's where you, you know we ask them to put their paper together like we did do their homework show us and make sure that they can make that claim stick mm-hmm. now i mean uh, you know great when we see that then you know we're ready to assume that it something else. Now, mm-hmm. let me also clarify that, that I'm excited because I've now made contact here with the University of Alabama Huntsville the Applied Optics Department and I've actually got one of the professors who uh, in research uh, who is now joined hands to look at this thing with us and he may be able to help us to uh, to learn more about the infrared than we thought that we could possibly even know. Mm-hmm. Well that's cool and what's great about this is uh, t- the people who have come
0: come about with alternate theories, they yeah. haven't done the work like you said uh, to put together a paper. However, um, you know, being part of some of the conversations with the group, uh, you and your group, uh, you all still take their their input seriously and yeah. have looked at it carefully to to see what their points are. And at least so far, I believe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, you still haven't found an answer. However, as to what this was,
2: correct. Uh, it, it just, you know, you, you you advanced the balloon idea, right? So you you know say, great. So they're using line of sight to show that the maybe the movement of the object was not at the same speed that we thought that it was, or maybe in the different direction, or it didn't didn't do this, or didn't do that. Okay. Did you go and check that uh, that and indeed a balloon, what it looks like in infrared? Mm-hmm. Okay, we did that. I've actually got a video clip using the same camera of a balloon, okay? It doesn't, the emissivity that's reflected from the ground and the sky don't look anything like this object whatsoever. Then they're not accounting for the fact that it also had It was first seen at night. It was first seen by the tower as well as the aircraft as being a white and a pink or kind of a white or pinkish white, if you would, that came in and and basically went dark. It went dark. And they're saying, okay, well, and they're not even accounting for that. Okay, they don't even mention that that's the case. Okay, well, then, you know, and then it went dark. So what what turned out the light on the balloon, you know, uh, the other thing would be like, you know, if it w- was a balloon or something of that nature. How do you explain the fact that it goes and it disappears at times what appears to be behind a pole, a, tra- a telephone pole, or it appears to move along the ground and in between trees or that it seems to go in the water and it appears to look like it goes in the water and then comes back up and then splits into two. Okay. So tell me how your balloon splits into two, how it does this kind of movement. And their papers don't get that far along. So they haven't done their homework. They need to spend you know more time doing that, do the calculations, make the, make the case. And, and that's what it, we didn't really even want to get into the UFO community. But it's the UFO, if you would, the skeptics or, or whatever you want to call them. I mean, uh, critics, if you would or debunkers, uh, whatever the term you want to use for that, those group. And it's just because they want to be able to prove and they've already come up with, it's a balloon or it's this, or it's that it's not this. So they're biased from the very beginning and they go off and they try to prove that it can't be a UFO or can't be unidentified. We have to find something else for it. And then they can't come up with an answer and even tell us what it is. And so that, yep, yeah, but they want to point their finger at us. They want to stick fingers in our face. They want to call us names as a group. And yet all we are a bunch of skeptical kind of like, you know, I mean, people don't think that I'm not skeptic. Excuse me. Wait a minute. I'm very skeptical of most UFO cases. Mm -hmm. So I, I too am a skeptic and, you know, and I, and I, but I also have a feeling that there's legitimacy to the case that needs to be explored and it needs to be investigated.
0: Mm -hmm. And, uh,
2: and so, but yet, you know, we're, you know, were criticized by that group and it's just become actually a carnival with them and and, i'm sad to say but and with
0: the the true experts the ones with the most expertise that are legitimate experts people who work with these systems um are agreeing that they do not believe this object to be, be a balloon or a bird correct um and for me that's what's most important because these are the experts everybody can have an opinion But uh, when it comes down to, like even me writing it as a journalist, the expert opinion is what's most important. And it's unique that we even have this expert opinion because often in these UFO cases, you can't get experts to put in their two cents because they're afraid of of ridicule. And even in this case, they only identified themselves to myself and you all, um, but otherwise don't want us to release their their personal information.
2: Yeah, which... You know, I'll be perfectly honest with you, the vast majority of UFO, uh, UFO re- uh, witnesses don't want their names mentioned, okay? I mean, that's just the way it is. And, oh, by the way, I mean, do you think that I'm going to, like, you know, go through the humiliation that I'm going to get if I tell my uh, put my name out there? No. I mean, the media is out there like a carnival and a joke that turns it into a circus. So I'm sorry. I'm going to keep my name quiet. But that doesn't mean that their testimony is not valid or nor that we don't think that it's... Now, I talk to the IR people that do the maintenance work on those cameras. You know, they're the ones that are out there knowing all about the camera. I mean, and they're literally, their whole office is sitting there looking at this entire video clip and saying, what the heck do you make out of that? That's nothing like anything I've ever seen. You know, I mean, that counts for something. You know, and so, I mean, Legitimately, there might be something, and again, I go back to the fact that I'm hoping that this IR uh, professor, uh, he's the assistant research director, uh, uh, who, my God, he's put together so many books on infrared that it's amazing, and, and it's just a very knowledgeable guy, and I sat with him for like, you know, over an hour, and he was telling me things that were like, you know, okay, well, this could be this, could be this, could be this, could be this, but like, great, can you help us out? Because uh, to me, my opinion is, if this has a prosaic explanation to it, I want to know it, and I will be the first to publish it. Okay, I mean, I'll make sure that that gets out there. I have got nothing to hide, you know. But until then, it's an extremely compelling video, okay. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I, you know, we owe it to the witnesses who came forward, took the risk to do that, to treat it seriously. That's what they wanted. That's what they got. We treated it seriously. And, you know, I'm proud of the work that we did. Most UFO cases, most excellent when you it's – first off, it's extremely rare for us to even begin, have a military-grade piece of equipment uh, pass, and we get that, that video, okay? Show me a case where we've had anything taken uh, infrared. Take, show me anything where we've had anything that, that was provided to us by the military that where we can actually go look at it and see an object of some sort. So on, on, for me, to me, it's like that's a rare event in and of itself, and it deserves a, a credible attention to it. And that's what I was proud of our group at least attempting to do that. Mm-hmm. So we're pretty much
0: out of time. I mean, that flew by. You are the state director for Alabama and Mississippi MUFON. Uh, by the way, we haven't mentioned that. And uh, I believe you have more titles with MUFON, right?
2: Yeah, I, I'm now the uh, MUFON director of strategic projects. And what that basically means is I'm looking to to help out on getting uh, technology implemented out there uh, to be able to help us to tackle this thing. And that's one of the projects that I've got. I'm also helping to document the life cycle of the UFO case so that we can you know, deploy that into the, our CMS design. Hmm. So I'm doing a lot of that type of stuff, applying my IT skills and stuff like that in that capacity.
0: Yeah, did you see that cool UFO ID, UFO detector software?
2: Yes, I did. In fact, yeah. I I think that's really neat. In fact, I, I've told my team that I've got to go out and let's get it and let's let's try it out and see what it's like and and, and check it out.
0: Yeah, that's cool stuff. So, um, And people can go to MUFONAL.org to find out more about Alabama MUFON. You're going to be speaking at the MUFON Symposium in August, which is very cool. Uh, that'll be in Orlando, Florida. And what are you going to be talking about?
2: Well, if, uh, the title of my program is going to be Target uh the uh, yeah, it's about the Aguadilla Puerto Rico case and it's called Target Unknown. And uh so we'll talk about that UAP case and uh, that goes along with the theme of the entire thing which is basically UFOs and uh you know, from the oceans to the skies to out in space and stuff. And so uh, it'll be one of those things I'll be talking on Saturday evening um, kind of like in the uh the primetime spot after people come back from dinner. So I'm excited about it. I'll also be doing the moderating one of the panels on the second day. And I'm looking forward to doing that as well. Cool. Well, that's exciting.
0: Well, anything else you wanted to add before we leave?
2: No, other than the fact that you're a great guy. I'm looking forward to being back on with you, Alejandro. I always appreciate your your rationality to the subject. And uh, thank you for having me on. And uh, I hope it won't be another 52 years before i'm back on with you yeah well you know what thank you so much
0: for coming on and we will definitely have you on again because i had a lot more questions i wanted to talk to you about but this was great to get to know you better and so the listeners get to know you i even found out new stuff about you because i didn't know you were just a teenager when you started all of this that's really cool
2: yeah, I was one of those kids that was influenced. A lot of people, there's a magic thing about age 13 or something like that. I run across it all the time where mm-hmm. people are, were enhanced by the subject around that age, you know, and so I, I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. And mm-hmm. so um, yep, 13 years old.
0: <laughs> well, you know what, I'm going to ask this question. Hopefully you have time anyway, because yeah. I didn't ask, have you had a sighting of your own?
2: Well, you know, no, I have not seen anything that I would classify wow. as a UFO uh, mm. th- that I've witnessed, and I, you know, I I tend to be walking around with my head up in the air. I'm always out. I do sky watches. I'm I'm out looking, and I, and I haven't. And, and but you know, let me let me clarify. When you've investigated cases where you've seen uh, circular areas that are baked two feet in the ground, seventy foot in diameter. Uh, like I did, and I'm standing in the middle of it, I'm going like, whoa, this is incredible. Uh, you see that, uh, and you see other kinds of things when you do case investigations. I, I don't have any reason to not believe. Uh, I've talked to too many credible Air Force people, military people, there's something there, and I, I really don't even think that I have to see one, because to me it's like, you know, it's just too too much common sense that, uh, that the planet uh, every part of the planet's been touched by these things, and all people describe them the same way. So I don't need to see one, but if I do, great. I love it. Like mm-hmm. The closest I came was I saw that Google Loon balloon, <laughs> and, uh, and man, I thought that that was pretty wild. I thought that maybe that was going to be my first one until I found out that it was the balloon that was launched from mm-hmm. Huntsville. So, and I guess finally, for real this time, uh, <laughs> but you
0: do believe the most likely answer for the phenomena uh, is that uh, there are extraterrestrial civilizations visiting.
2: I'm going to put it to you this way. I mean, I, there's the, 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 the multiple hypotheses as to where they originate. I mean, you know, I, I, I and I think that all of them still are on the table. In other words, uh, if you look at the Benton Waters case, you could probably argue that they would tell you that it's something from the future. Uh, you know, and that's pretty much the way that that one went. Uh, if you look at the fact that If you read Jacques Vallée's work, and especially since he's done the new uh, re-editing of his book, Wanders in the Sky, I mean, you're documenting the fact that we've had a relationship with some pretty unusual objects and things like that that go throughout recorded history. Uh, So then there's the the philosophy or the the hypothesis that suggests that they've always been here. They might have been here before us. Uh, And then you you also look at uh, Jacques Vallée's work and you'd say, well, well, maybe there's an alternative hypothesis, you know, and maybe it's like interdimensional in nature that can pop in and pop out. And so that's just as much on the table. Uh, Then, you know, it goes on and on and on to where that there's all these different. And it doesn't have to be that they're extraterrestrial necessarily coming from here. Well, let me put it this way. They might not be from here. But they've been here for a very, very long time is a very, very strong possibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, their ability to move through space and time, you know, might be that they're from, uh, you know, not even in this time element that we live in and, and what we work in. So we don't know where they originate from, but I believe that they've, there's been a relationship between everybody on this planet with some unknown, something that we really don't know, that has been recorded, tracked, seen, observed. Maybe we've been influenced by it, and I believe that that's also the case, but I don't necessarily jump to the fact that they're flying here in spacecraft from uh, another galactic place or something like that on a day-to-day basis. Uh, I believe that the oceans come into play. I believe that there might be conceivably bases underneath the ocean because it's, we we shouldn't even be called Earth, you know. Three quarters of the planet is water. We should be called probably the planet Water. <laughs> and and, uh, and nukes. And nukes. Well, yeah, I, I go along with Hastings. Yeah. I mean, to me, think about about that. I mean, it's like you know, we started detonating all these things in the atolls underwater and stuff like that. If you were water based, you know, wouldn't you be a little bit concerned about that and want to pop out and try to stop all that stuff? You know. Mm-hmm. So. Bottom line is that they've probably got shaken up quite a bit from all the rattling we did with the the nukes that we've done, and and we're affecting our own planet that they might be sharing with us. And so, hey, by the way, uh, let me do something about that. So I, I believe very strongly that those interactions that that Hastings has put together in his in his great work called UFOs and Nukes and his new documentary is legit, and it's it basically you know, it says that, you know, they're wanting to stop us from either annihilating ourselves or, or something of that nature.
0: Mm-hmm. And finally, do they, whoever they are, have anything to do with the bow tie?
2: No, I'm sorry to say, I I go back and I look at my photographs that I've got, even of me as a kid, and I found a few of them where I'm wearing a bow tie. And I had uncles who wore bow ties and and then I—it seemed like when I got working at Army Material Command, there was this one gentleman by the name of Forrest Chilton that I that I remember working with. Me, and he always wore a bow tie. I thought that was really cool. <laughs> so he kind of convinced me to to go that way. And I, in fact, I went up and said, "Can you teach me how to bow and tie this thing?" And so there you go. And and there you go. And then I just <laughs> now I've got my my wonderful cups and my drawings made by Dennis Reno of me wearing a you know a bow tie and. Uh, <laughs> And I and my coffee mug and stuff like that. So it's pretty cool. All yeah. right. You're pretty cool, dude. Hey, thanks. Thank you. And uh, I, again, I appreciate just being on with you.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you so much to Richard Hoffman for being on the show. What a great guest. Like I said, you know, I interact with him so much. It's shocking that I haven't had him on the show Before And now you know why I should have had him on the show earlier and why I should have him on frequently, which I I definitely will attempt to do because he's got a lot of great information. He's been in this for decades and uh, he's done a lot of great stuff and has some, some incredible insight. So I always love working with Rich. He's very professional, very down to earth. And uh, what a background, huh? I mean, an amazing asset to this field. So, thank you so much. Uh, You can check him out at Alabama uh, Mufon. Uh, They've got a website and a Facebook. Also, you could check him out on Facebook. And uh, he'll also be speaking at the Mufon Symposium. Like you said, actually, both of us will be. So, and Morgan Beal who is a state director for Florida. Actually, the MUFON symposium will be in late August in Orlando. And uh, Morgan, being the state director, is uh, taking a big role in this year's symposium. And he's also put together these really cool videos that highlight the different speakers. So um, he's got a video of yours truly, but he's got some of the other speakers and you can find out about the speakers' backgrounds and, and what they're into and all about. And they're really cool, fun videos. So they're on the move on YouTube. And actually I've been posting them on my Facebook and on our Facebook group. So don't forget the Open Minds UFO News Facebook group is out there, it's a closed group. But all you have to do is ask to join, and we will let you join. Uh, and we just want to keep out the real negative people and the people who are just name-calling and saying just disgusting things, as, as we see so much out there on the internet by these anonymous uh, boneheads. So yeah, so join the Facebook group, and you can see these videos. They're really cool. And hopefully, you can make it to the symposium to see us talk and to say hello. It's going to be a lot of fun. Fun, so really excited about that I'm also really excited about our video portal and of course you're hearing about it every time now on the radio show but you'll see it more in our emails and on our website but our video portal we've really beefed up so we have all of the 2016 um, International UFO Congress lectures up on our on-demand video portal so essentially you can go there and you'll be able to watch all the lectures right there. Uh, they're all streaming, and at, for one low monthly price, you can watch all of these hundreds of videos of your favorite lectures. I mean, Bob Lazar, Jacques Vallée, George Knapp, um, all of the big guys you know, out there. I mean, we've got tons of people on there, um, and uh, it, so that's a lot of fun, but... It, it's really cheap. and and if you want, you can watch one video at a time. However, it's much more cost-effective just to do the low month-to-month on that one. So go check that out when you have a chance. It's well, well worth it. Uh, You could go to our website, openminds.tv, and you'll see the video portal link, uh, and you'll see it there. Uh, We also have been talking about it in our emails. So on the website on the upper right, you'll see a box where you can join our email newsletter. We only send that out bi-weekly, so we don't really spam you, but we let you know what's going on on the radio show with the UFO Congress, um, with our uh, UFO reports, and the latest news and headlines and stuff, so you can keep up to date. Uh, So if you get uh, busy with other things, you know, we can always give you tabs on what's going on in the UFO world with this handy email that we send out on a bi-weekly basis. All of the news that we talked about you can find at OpenMinds.tv, so be sure to check there regularly. And um, thank you all so much for listening. Thank you to Caleb Hanks for the opening and closed music. And, you know, no vacations or nothing in the way. Uh, we should have shows uh, over the next few weeks. Actually, I've got interviews scheduled for the next few weeks already, so... Uh, We'll be going on strong into the summer, into the Arizona desert heat. It's going to be like 95 tomorrow, so we are quickly, unfortunately, on our way to those 110-degree days. But um, right now, and if you were at the Congress, you remember the weather was spectacular. It was so great And we've had this amazing weather all the way up until now. So I can't complain because it's been really nice. And uh, hopefully it will be for a few days. But pretty soon here we'll be in the blazing sun. But regardless of that blazing sun beating down, we will be bringing you the UFO news at OpenMinds.tv. So thank you all so much for listening. Thank you to Martin for joining us with the news. And we will talk to you all next week. Adios, muchachos.